Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 80. I'm your host, Martino Puccio. Alongside me this week is Matt Santangelo. Pepperisha is riding high after an Arsenal 3-1 victory over Leicester City. I didn't want to damper on his party, Matt, because uh, Leicester got knocked out in Europa League, and they've truly been terrible, so it's not that impressive of a win. But I'll, I'll just wait for him to listen to the episode for, for him to hear that. But how are you doing? Um, hey, look, Milan got back to winning ways. So normally they're, they're the guidance, the guidance <laughs> of, of how my days typically go, my weeks pretty go. So all in all, I'm, in, I'm doing better these days. But we have a, a, a special guest here with us, Martino, and a first-time guest. So please introduce him. Yeah, so we have uh, Cristiano with us. I'll, I'll, I'll let him say the last name because it isn't quite the Cristiano everybody knows regarding football. <laughs> Cristiano, um, how you doing, man? It's uh, great to have you on. We were talking a little bit pre-show. I'm doing great, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. And yes, in case you guys are wondering, I am the famous Cristiano Oliveira, the original, <laughs> the one that, you know, uh, the famous Ronaldo's mom decided to name him after. So, yes, it's me. <laughs> how you guys doing? Thank you for, again, having me on. Um, and Matt. You're describing yourself as far as Milan and how your weekends and your, and your you know your days go. It's a lot like our Benfica, man. They dictate how we act and, and our mood is. So uh, I feel you, brother. Yeah, I was. You know, it's funny. We're gonna start with Benfica too. Obviously, you know, you and I, uh, we've we've met a couple times in here in the Harrison area, of, you know, New Jersey, New York. You know, whatever you want to claim it as. But um, the fact that we have you actually on the podcast to uh, kind of talk about everything Portuguese football is very exciting. But before we get into Benfica sporting and, and all that that stuff, um, just give the audience a little bit of a, a insight as to what you do, some of your, your projects you're working on, and then um, we'll get rolling. Um, the Jack, what was it called? Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, currently do the Benfica podcast, been doing it for quite a while with Alfredo Fumasas and uh, the David de Oliveira from up north, like we like to call him. I've been involved in a bunch of different projects as well with Benfica and Pendent. Just basically everything I'm doing nowadays is related to Benfica. Um, it's unfortunate that our team uh, is not playing up to expectations, but nonetheless, it's still a great joy to do so. Uh, so if you guys are interested on anything Benfica related, check out Benfica podcast, Benfica Independent. Uh, we have a bunch of great uh, audio and, and, and videos out. We just, Alfredo and I had the privilege of interviewing the great Sven Goran Eriksson, who was the first coach I got to as a little boy when I finally fell in love with Benfica. He was our coach at the time. And you guys know him well from having spent time at Lazio, Fiorentina, went on to uh, be the national team coach for England. So, uh, it, it was an absolute dream come true to, to speak to him. So if you guys are interested in that, um, it's it's up. We just did it this past week and we re- released it yesterday. So um, just a ton of different content. You know, I think you guys would enjoy it. Yeah, so let's get into it uh, with Benfica. We were talking a little bit um, prior to the show on the state of, you know, the transfer markets that Milan and Benfica have had over the years. So you're not happy, obviously, from the Tony of Voice pre-show. So give us the whole, you know, your outlook of Benfica and kind of the road they're going down. We always know Portuguese football and in terms of the transfer market, the very, like, you know, basic idea that everyone has is they make a ton of money off of sales. But, you know, they don't really come off and win Champions League titles kind of like they used to in the early 2000s, right? Or competing for those titles. Kind of what 
what's happening there that they're not utilizing all that cash that they're getting? Because one would think off of just basic logic, right? You get a lot of money, you're able to reinvest it, you get top talents, and then you're able to win some of these trophies. But that's not something that's transpired. Yeah, I mean, yeah, off the top of it, absolutely. You see all this money coming in, you'd expect them to reinvest it. So why the hell aren't Portuguese teams competing to a higher standard nowadays, right? That's the obvious question. But when you look deeper into it, um, when when a Benfica, a Porto, a Sporting, when a team like this misses out on an opportunity to play in a Champions League, that's 40-plus million dollars, uh, euros out the window. And so it, it really dampers what you can do on the transfer market. And year after year, what they've done is accumulated debt. And so now they have to repay back that debt. You know, you understand it's not just as simple as you get in $300 million worth of transfers and you go and invest $300 million to, to, to reinforce your club. It, it just doesn't work like that. I wish it did. Uh, Benfica this summer did go ahead and they they invested nearly 100 million euros, which is a record in Portuguese league. Um, they invested 25 million on Darwin Nunez, who's supposed to be, you know, our, our, our leading goal scorer this year. He came over from Almeria in Spanish second division. He's the most expensive transfer in the history of Portuguese football. Hasn't lived up to expectations. Brought in Everton Cebolinha, Brazilian national team caliber player, was the leading goal scorer in the last uh, Copa America. Hasn't lived up to expectations. Luca Walshmit, German international, uh, didn't invest that much money. and was only 15, but still he, he came off uh, the gates, you know, on fire. And then all of a sudden, for some reason or another, it hasn't really performed to expectations or the way we, or at least the way he started off the season um, in the last couple of months, we brought in George Jesus, manager who took Flamengo to Copa Libertadores the first since 1981. It's just a lot of hype, man, and, and no one really has, has performed up to expectations. Just been disappointment after disappointment. Even when these guys are healthy on the field together, we just, you know, struggle to get a one nothing victory, a 2-1 to victory. It's just nothing has panned out. Um, and then to top things off, Benfica, right at the beginning of January, um, they had 11 or 12, whatever it was, players infected with COVID. And it was just, I mean, it's been downhill ever since then. Not that things were pretty before, <laughs> but at least you're able to accumulate three points after three points, even though things weren't pretty. But, hey, you know what? At the end of the day, the important thing is bringing home the three points. And ever since um, that that crazy spell with infections, you know, up and down the roster, we, just, I mean, it's been ugly. It's been ugly. It's just dropping points back and forth. So hopefully um, they find something here that they're able to turn things around and uh, finish in the top three because Portuguese football, uh, for the first time in about six years, uh, we're going to be able to get three teams into to the Champions League group stage next year. Um, it's only been the champion going direct second place would have to play the, you know, the play-in game. Now this season, uh, we've jumped over Russia. So now first and second place go direct and third place. Uh, we'll have to play the play-in game, the qualifying game, whatever it is you want to name it. So uh, Benfica right now are currently four points behind third place. Things aren't pretty, but still about 14, 15 games to go in the Portuguese uh, Liga Nós. So hopefully they'll find a way to get back on track and at the bare minimum be able to get, you know, latch on to that third place in order to qualify for the Champions League next year. Yeah, and, and Christian, I'm looking at the table right here in front of me and I see uh, Sporting Braga, Porto, and then Benfica right there in fourth. Um, but I want to get back to some of the, the concerns and issues you raised about um, the way Benfica have been acting on the market as far as their finances go and everything like that. Is that something that you're seeing 
is that is that of a more of a, a an, uh, an indication of where Portuguese football currently is at the moment, or is that more of like a Benfica only problem? You're seeing the same thing across the board with maybe Sporting and some of these other uh, squads that we've come to know as being like like notoriously strong and competitive in these competitions, as Martino alluded to, but now sort of kind of falling by the wayside and not being as um, involved on, in, in that respect. So is this more of a, a problem across the board that you're seeing with Portuguese football? And if it is, what things would you like to see implemented to kind of at least alter the paradigm or alter the way um, your favorite type of football is going right now? Yeah, um, look, I, I don't see it as a problem. If anything, it was <laughs> with tremendous excitement that Benfica was able to go out and spend money on the market, you know, like drunken sailors. We've never seen any Portuguese club spend this type of money. But at the same time, let's be realistic here. Sporting and Porto combined don't make the type of money that Benfica does in terms of marketing. You know, Benfica is the biggest Portuguese brand um, anywhere. So uh, they were able to afford some of these uh, crazy signings. Obviously, when you sell João Felix for combined 126, right? Your bank account gets flushed with, with a ton of cash. You know, look at the, the transfers we've had over the last 10 years or so. Ederson's of the world, Ruben Diaz, uh, Renato Sanchez, uh, Gonzalo Guedes. I mean, so many to just sit here and name, right? Um, and so they've been able to, to, to pay off some of the debt. They've been able to keep some money in their pocket. And now this year, it depends. Like, I'm a fan, obviously, of the team going out and investing on the right players. I wasn't sure from day one that investing $25 million on a kid from second division who really doesn't have much of a track record. I thought it was a risky, risky move. I, I compared it to, you know, Real Madrid going out and spending $225 million on, 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 you know, Joe Blow and then the guy coming in and being absolutely disastrous. Uh, Real Madrid might be able to soak in that $200 million loss. Benfica can't. I thought it was too much of a risk. I looked at it as... You know, if this kid's being, you know, bringing brought in for this amount of money, he needs to score 25, 30 goals. He can't be a long-term project because Benfica doesn't have that luxury. They need to be able to get this kid to come in, play at the top of his game from day one. Therefore, he could turn around and sell him. The point all along, the objective all along was to bring him in for 25, have the kids tear up the league, and then in the summer, turn around and sell him for 150-plus. I think that was the ideal plan. But then COVID hit. I think most of the teams throughout European football, the, the funds just aren't there. But the worst part about it all is that the kid, even if those clubs did have the money, he's not playing anywhere near expectations. I think the pressure is getting to him wearing a Benfica shirt um, is, is what we call it in Portuguese football. And muito pesado is, you know, very heavy. It's a very heavy shirt to wear because expectations and the pressure of winning every single game are, are through the roof. And I, I just don't think he's been, you know, he's been able to deal with that very well. But again, Benfica makes a ton more money than our, our you know, direct rivals. Um, Benfica went through an election on October 28th, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Our president won the re-election. And some of the critics uh, of our, you know, front office will tell you that the only reason why they spent nearly $100 million was because he wanted to win a re-election. He wanted to to prove to the world that he was invested in that Benfica is is in good financial health. Uh, you know, and so it's backfired. Uh, coach hasn't been uh, all we expected him to be. I could tell you, my guys, I I was I was ecstatic when he came back. I thought this is the coach we needed once again. The last time Benfica played real football, had competitive teams, went to Europa League final. I understand it's not the Champions League final, but it's still a final in a, of a European competition, losing to Chelsea and then losing to Sevilla. And PKs back-to-back years, uh, it's just you know we we've, we've gone away 
from that type of football. So I thought once he came back, we'd get back on track. And it's just been a disappointment after disappointment, guys. I mean, there's not much else I could say. Um, you know, so as a Benfica fan, I was happy to was spending money. Uh, but now looking back at it eight months later, you're just, you know, shaking your head and wondering what the hell were these guys doing? Because not not a single player that's been brought in in the summer is playing up to expectations. The only guy is Otamendi. Uh, you guys know him well. He played mm-hmm. at Valencia, played mm-hmm. at Manchester City. He came in in the swap deal for Ruben Diaz going to Manchester City. And he came back the other way. You know, have, having ties with Football Club de Porto, a lot of Benficistas weren't thrilled at the, you know, prospect of Benfica having, you know, a player with, with that was so ingrained in the Porto way of doing things. And now he's representing your team. A lot of people criticize him. You could tell the pressure got to him a little bit. First couple of games, he struggled. But ever since then, he's he's, he's been our most consistent player. Uh, Vertonghen came over from Tottenham. He's been Mr. All-Reliable, but... You know, Vertan came on a free. So the guys that came in with the crazy price tag, they've all been disappointments. But it's, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, uh, Matt, to answer your question more directly, I look at it as a positive uh, rather than a problem. You know, if these Portuguese teams are investing this type of money, it's because the money's coming in. So I hope that, you know, they were able to make money through comp- competing in the Champions League and through player sales. And when we get to see these these Portuguese teams at least make it out of the group stage and try to represent the Portuguese league with, with you know, uh, the way with a lot more dignity, the way that we all expect them to uh, to play in these competitions. Yeah, I do. Everything he was just describing there, Matt, really remind me of uh, summer of 2017, where <laughs> not a single signing was good for Milan. I think it took it took a while for a couple of them, but yeah. Um, let's continue with some uh, with some of the other teams. Sporting's in first, right? Um, Probably, in my opinion, I because I'm obviously not an avid um, follower of the Portuguese league, but Dom and Benfica are the two names that you think of when you think of that league. Um, so they, they're up by a lot. I mean, this is – you never like to call races too early, but, I mean, it's kind of trending in that direction that, they're, that they should wrap this up. They still haven't lost the game in league play. What's it really been like for them? Is this – is this legitimate? How how many of their players are they really going to be keeping on? And um, you could you could also speak to Pedro Gonclavas as well, um, because it all ties in together. So we yeah, might he's as well been he's been lights in. out. He's been lights out. He's a league in goals. It brought him in for I believe it was like eight or nine million for fifty percent of his pass. And and the kids, you know, lit the league lit the league on fire. Um, they brought in a bunch of other players throughout the Portuguese league. They didn't make those big, sexy signings that Benfica did, but they're all panning out. And then they promoted a ton of kids from from their B team and the youth ranks. And um, credit to Ruben Amorim, credit to everyone at the club for for finally figuring it out, for, uh, figuring it out. Um, you know, first time they're, they're, they're in this position since 2001, 2002 is the last time they won a league title. So this happens about once every 18 or 19 years or so credit to them for finally figuring it out. Porto and Benfica were the ones that were really expected to challenge at the top. They were expected to be between a two horse race between the two of them. Uh, Porto's had, you know, subpar season, Uh, you know, um, they're not playing anywhere near anything that, you know, again, Portistas, you speak to them and they're, they're, Pretty disappointed by the way the teams perform. Same thing with Benfica. Uh, but credit to Sporting. The youngsters have stepped up. They've done what they had to do. Uh, there was still a question regarding the league title. Was the race over or not? But just yesterday, uh, yesterday or Saturday, 
Saturday. Porto and Sporting um, drew nil-nil game at the at the Stade do Dragão, which you know, if they lost that game, would have been a seven-point lead as opposed to a ten-point lead, and maybe you know things start getting tight up top. The pressure starts to you know, to be too much for these youngsters to do, but uh, to, to put up with, I should say, to deal with. But fortunately for them, they went into the Dragon. They did what they had to do. They came away with a nil-nil draw, and they held it at 10. And now it, it's going to be very, very tough for Porto to catch up to them at the top. So I think, I mean, like you said, it's, it's, it's you know, it might be a little early to call it, but I, I, I think it's a wrap. I don't think, I don't see Spartan giving up a lead of, of the 10-point lead with, you know, this short amount of time to go in the league. And getting back to uh, Goncalves there, um, Cristiano, you know, there's obviously I've been a lot of attention I, I find around his name um, in these past couple months. Obviously, he's, you know, when anytime you see a certain team at the top of the table, then you start to nitpick their squad and see who's who's the guy there, who's really leading the charge there. And obviously, he's been playing out of his mind, you know, the goal production, assist production. He just has so much involvement in, in what Sporting do. And then I look at sort of the type of player he is and the versatility he shows to play across various midfield roles, to get forward. Um, and I find the fact that, again, he's at sporting and maybe he's going to follow the, that same sort of trajectory or route, shall I say, to the next level, maybe in a Premier League side. Of course, I'm, I'm speaking on Bruno Fernandes here, who's obviously been a revelation for Manchester United. Do you see him being that sort of player? Like, do you think his ceiling is that high? Do you think it's a little lower? What do you ultimately see from Goncalves going forward, um, not only at the domestic level, club level, but maybe potentially, you know, down the line uh, with the national team? Do you think he's like that legit of a player? Or is this maybe just a one season where he's he's taking advantage of the competition and then, um, you know, maybe he's going to come back down to earth a little bit? See, man, I think there's a tremendous crime, be, you know, being committed in Portuguese football um, every single season. Anytime any player shows any glimpse of of success or uh, mm-hmm. shows that, you know, any promise, they start right away being compared to the Cristiano Ronaldo's of right. the world, to, to, to Bruno Fernandes of the world. And I think every every player is different. Every player is a different case. It's own individual case. And I do like the player. Um you know, he's come into Sporting. He's played better than anyone would think, uh, than anyone anticipated, I should say. Last year, you know, 33 appearances for, for Malikão, scored five goals. I'm talking about now 17 appearances and 14 goals. So totally drastic, totally different than what you expected. But then again, he's got better quality teammates around him. His team this time is expected to win as opposed to expected to fight and hold off for, for draw. So I, I, I get it. The game planning is totally different. I like the player. I think, uh, you know, he's still early on, right? Uh, baby steps. Uh, he needs to first, you know, get called up to the national team and then show that he belongs. And we'll see. But all I know is that every time you talk about a young Portuguese player and you start throwing in the names of the Bruno Fernandes of the world, and the Cristiano Ronaldo, Rui Costa, Figos, I think it does a disservice for these guys because it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on them to perform and live up to that status on a, you know, on a daily basis rather than just worry about being the best Pedro Gonçalves that you could be. Um, hopefully that doesn't get into his head. Um, and hopefully he just keeps developing because the one thing Portugal, um, and it's crazy we say Portugal severely lacks when you think of the quality of players, right? Cristiano Ronaldo, João Felix, uh, J- uh, Jota, that's now at uh, uh, Liverpool. Uh, you talk about uh, uh, your boy, he's, uh, what's his name? Silva, 
He's uh, Andre Silva at yeah. Frankfurt. Exactly. Yeah. Andre Silva from, you know, that the Milan let go. Talk <laughs> about those caliber players. But yet yeah, Portugal, when they put on that Portuguese national team jersey, with the exception of, of Cristiano, man, these guys, you know, they're not the same players that we see on their on the club teams every week. And so I think, you know, it's important to give these players a little bit of uh, of room to develop and to, and to grow, um, you know. And so I like them. I'm just I'm just not ready to make that 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 you know to, to sit here and tell you that this kid's gonna be legit. He's gonna be the next one to make the big jump to to another league. I do expect him to at some point make a jump to another league. But as far as the success rate to compare him to the Bruno Fernandes of the world, I just I'm not comfortable with that right now. Yeah, it's funny. as you were you you're going on about him too and the comparisons and not putting pressure on young players. I was immediately thinking of Mattia Dicio, right? At a young age, he was at Milan. <laughs> And everyone's like the next Maldini. And then they get, you know, you know years down the line, they go and get Pacata uh, and they're like the next Kaká. And it's like these players just simply don't work out for whatever reason. Um, obviously, Pacata's gone on. And he's playing pretty well at Lyon. Um, you know, less pressure, perhaps, but also the fact that he's just kind of out of that shirt and out of that sort of limelight in that sense. But, um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think, you know, the focusing on the now, focusing on what's in front of you, the games that you can control and that you can make a difference in, is the key here. I mean, obviously the games change. So everyone's always going to speculate about, well, what's the next step? Is it premier league? Is it this league? Is it that league? Uh, for me, I would love to see players like him stay and be sort of a, a foundation type player for, for sporting and obviously for Portuguese football, but it's understanding the business, right? We all understand um, obviously, you know, sell players, make a profit, reinvest, yada, yada, yada. That's the cycle. So um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, I guess, right? I mean, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he, if he left for big fee, you know, sporting capitalize on it, trust to maybe reap the benefits of winning the title if they do so pull that off and then just move on to the next guy and see if they can trust in their, their scouting because everyone knows Portugal does a sensational job on the scouting side of things, right? Obviously retaining some of these players is, is a bit of a challenge, but we know that they're among the best in, in the scouting sense. But before we move on to the next topic, um, I just want to let everyone know who's listening. This podcast is brought to you in affiliation with SoRare, the global blockchain fantasy game. SoRare is a fantasy game of soccer where players buy, sell, and trade and manage a virtual team with digital player cards. If you use our link and buy five new cards from the primary market, both individual cards and bundles, you get a free rare card. So head over to HTTPS semicolon forward slash forward slash S-O-R-A-R-E dot P-X, P-X-F, excuse me, I-O, forward slash S-O-P to get started. So obviously, if you guys aren't familiar with it, I'm going to speak to you guys um, after doing that little plug there. Um, it's very new and very fresh, uh, sort of digital crypto soccer world meshing all of those. Um, it's getting a lot of buzz, a lot of investment outside of the actual crypto space. You're getting a lot of pro athletes who are investing in this. Um, and just to get an idea of, of some of the uh, more prolific, more popular cards. At, at Cristiano Ronaldo, 2020-21 unique card just sold for 80, a little about 84,500 euros, which is about 52.85 Ethereum. So throwing a lot of big words out here, but just hear me out here. So um, it's a huge deal for the, for the, for the game itself and for the growth of the game itself, which is very much expanding. So once again, guys, make sure you guys get involved. If you have more interest to um, 
to one, get started on this, yes, but to also learn about crypto and just the game itself. It's, it's a very fun game. I know Pet probably can wrap it up better than I can, but I'm doing my best here. So uh, guys, let's move <laughs> right on to, um, or shall I say, go back to Ruben Diaz. Oh, don't forget his I, Memphis Depay card, by the way, real quick. He said he got that? a Memphis. He said he got a Memphis to pie card. It yeah, was like pets, you know it was pets? worth like two grand. This son yeah, of a bitch. Yeah, no, pets. He's really, really involved with it, and I, I'm really involved with it too because I love the crypto side. I love obviously football. So meshing those two things is, is yeah, really fascinating to me. It's kind of like Ultimate Team, like digital Ultimate Team. Um, Christian, I don't know how familiar you are with this, but it's it's pretty. Never fun. heard of it, but I'm gonna check it out. I'm definitely yeah, dude, <laughs> you know. make sure make sure you go check it out. I think it's very. I mean, I don't know how often you can get a Cristiano card or a Joe Felix. Um, I know there's a lot of like, Gary V's involved. He only wants Benfica players. Yeah. All Benfica team if you want, by all means. But um, let's go back. Let's go back to Ruben Diaz for a moment. Because Matt, you Matt before you go to Ruben Diaz, I just wanted to throw in, because I know this, this podcast, a tremendous amount of Milan fans listen to you guys. And yeah. you <laughs> talked about this. You talked about Paqueta. And I just want to remind everybody, talking about good young players that – didn't exactly live up to expectations, needed to move elsewhere. Benfica signed Brian Cristante from you guys, who was once very oh, highly yeah. touted, came yeah. over, didn't have the success we we anticipated he would have, and then Benfica eventually loaned him out to the Serie A, and Roma comes and picks him up for 33 or whatever. Five million? Yeah, yeah robbery. Like Great job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, no, who who did we loan him to? Atalanta? Atalanta, uh, yeah. And then and Atalanta then picked up the option for five million, and then before they, the ink was dry, they turned around and sold him to Roma for 30-plus <laughs> or whatever. So Benfica got like 1.3, whatever it was. Yeah, tremendous piece of business by Benfica, by the way. Just another one of those that you, you got to, yeah. you know, uh, put in a Benfica museum as a tremendous piece of business for the club, but still <laughs> young player. Um, a lot of hype at Milan. I was very ex- excited for, for, you know, for him coming to Benfica. Um, didn't live up to expectations, but there's just, there's so many of those players out there. And I think a lot of times we, we, we want to compare them to the next guy or compare them to the previous guy. Who's he going to remind you of? Yada, yada. And we just forget about yeah. letting the player be the best player that he can be. Um, let them, you know, learn on the job. Sporting Porto Benfica, they're going to try to develop as many players as possible because that's the one way that they're going to recoup and make money. But at the same time, it's going to be very tough on them to compete at the international level if year after year you're developing the Juan Felixes in the world and you keep them for eight months because these big sharks want to come in with a boatload of money. And then next year you got to reset all over again and try to develop the next Juan Felix, the next. Pedro Gonzalez, you know, and, and it's tough to keep those teams together in order to compete and make a nice little run at the Champions League or even the Europa League. So those are some of the difficulties that the Portuguese clubs currently have to deal with. Well said. I mean, Cristante is a, a name that I know everyone was, or at least a lot of Milan fans were very upset at the time when they got rid of him because it was yeah, like, cause his, first, of, his uh, first goal was when Kaká scored his 100th for Milan in yeah. the same match. So everyone was thinking like, okay, Milan got something right here. One guy's going to leave and Cristante is going to be like one of those future pieces for them. And obviously for five or six million euros is what he moved for. Everyone was up at arms with Galliani and Berlusconi for, for pulling off. You knew ben, goal, but... if Benfica scooped them, like, you know, it was a big deal. Yeah. Because, because <laughs> they know <laughs> talent and we were sucking. And then ass, he goes to so... Atalanta <laughs> and then Atalanta make them really polish him up. And then they sell him to, like they Roma. normally do, and, and just take advantage of it. They go to Roma, and he's a player that they really just don't really like that much, from what I gather from Romanisti. So, um, yeah, that's 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 another here nor there. But <laughs> let's move back to Ruben Diaz real quick, um, because I know you mentioned that the, the deal in the summer, Ruben Diaz leaving Benfica, going to Manchester City, Otamendi going back. 
Um, talk to me about what you've seen from him as a, a, a mainstay in Manchester City's probably eventual title victory here because obviously they spent a ton of money on him. So obviously the expectations are going to be there to be that next, my next tier top grade central defender. Did you get any sort of inclination that he would be this effective early on for Manchester City? Did you see this sort of, you know, growth immediately coming? Or did you think he was going to be a player that would take one or two seasons to really start to blossom and to really start to, to scratch the surface of his true potential? Ruben Diaz has been touted by anyone in the Benfica world for many, many years now as the next great leader, the next captain of, of, of the Aguias, right? At the club, we all knew he had this tremendous amount, you know, tremendous gift of being able to lift and raise his, his teammates' uh, performances to the next. Like you see him at like 14, 15, giving speeches right before a game and motivating his teammates. And you could just tell that there's something special about this guy. Uh, he's been, spent about three seasons on the main club. Had some phenomenal performances. Had some performances not so phenomenal. Uh, so when when this uh, transfer came about, it caught everybody by surprise because at that point our president had said that you know Ruben Diaz is not going to stay. He's a leader. He's going to be here for the next uh, you know eight ten years, whatever it is. The year before he signed the new contract extension, yada yada yada. And then before you know it, he's wearing the captain's armband the first time. And he's saying goodbye to everybody after the game. And it was just like one of those moments that as a Benfica, you, you, you know they're coming, but you just you hope that it's, you know, not anytime soon. You know that these kids are going to leave. Uh, so to see that finally happen, it was, it was a little bit sad because you understood. And like I said, you knew from a very young age that he was a natural-born leader. Now, guys, I'd be lying to you if I told you, oh, man, I knew this kid was going to be this good from day one at Manchester City. I'd be lying. I mean, you know, and I don't want to lie to you guys. I like guys. You don't lie to men. You lie to women and children. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I don't want to lie to you guys. No jokes aside. But look, he surprised me. He's come in. And, and, and initially, if you go back and you listen to the initial press conferences from Pep Guardiola, at the time, John Stones, a bunch of the guys, Laporte, a lot of them, they were going through some health problems. And injury problems, I should say health makes it sound a lot worse. Some injury problems and uh, you at least the sense that I got, guys, you, you know, those of you listening could go back and listen to it. And, you know, you could comment here with the show and let these guys know if I'm crazy or not. But I, I got the sense he wasn't crazy about picking up Ruben Diaz. It was just like, well, yeah, he's he's here now. He's He's going to play and, you know. We'll see what we could do going forward. Like, there was no enthusiasm. Yet. Now, when you hear Pep Guardiola talk about Ruben Diaz, you just see the guys gushing, right? It's totally different, um, different form of speaking, totally different way of thinking about the player. And so, again, I, I think Pep had the same reservations I did. Uh, at some point, he's going to be a good asset. But, no, I don't think anyone uh, saw this coming such as, you know, so early on in his career at Manchester City. He's been absolutely lights out. Easy, easily, uh, arguably, I should say, right, the, the defender of the year. Um, he's had a tremendous effect on that team, and I won't be surprised uh, if in the very near future you see him being named captain of that team, man, because, again, as I've said before, from a very young age at Benfica, he's been praised about being this tremendous leader, and you see that around his teammates, and you see him get to Man City in the first couple of appearances, gathering his teammates around, he's motivating him, he's pumping them up, and it's just it's a joy to watch, man. Portugal is very well served at that position. For, for a while now, we've been questioning – 
you know, who's going to take over for, for the pep, you know, Pepe is of the world, right? He's 38 years old. And to his credit, the old man's still playing at a very high level, yeah, but there was a lot of questions. Who's going to be his partner? Who's going to be? And, and, and I think there's no doubt about it. It's, 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 it's Ruben Diaz and it's not even a question. Yeah, that's, that's so great. And, and it really is impressive too, because when you look at even city's track record of not only center backs, just the whole back line in general, whoever they bring in doesn't really make an immediate impact in the first place. Like, how long it took for John Stones to even get to Cancelo. the daddy's at You're now. one. Cancelo as well, yeah. Uh-huh. Former Laporte. Benfica product yeah. as well, by the way. Just had to throw that. <laughs> so so Great they player, actually, yeah. Man City actually has more Benfica players that came up from their youth ranks than yeah. Benfica does. Ederson, João Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, and Bernardo Silva. Just want to throw that out. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, buddy, crazy. Of was, um, buddy of mine is a Benfica fan was telling me about that, and you have, you have to look back at it like, because the players start somewhere and then they go to another team, another team, and then they oh, go yeah. to city or go to another team. And then they, you kind of like look at what the origin of their career is. And well, that's a testament to the strength of, of Benfica, right? The fact that you can have four players, premium players starting for the team. That's one, probably going to win the premier league two, a favorite to win the champions league. So yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it shows their strength and Cancelo, especially too. just speaking on him real quick. I mean, he was strong at Inter on loan. Then he goes to Juve, and he was top three at his position in world football that one year he was at Juve. For whatever reason, they got rid of him. I mean, whether it was a, balancing the books a bit or trying to make something Well, for, for the person we're talking about next. Well, right, but, I mean, Goncello was sensational. I mean, I'm watching the matches that that, that, that City have, and him and Diaz, I mean – they had they just had that sort of dynamic there, and I always kind of think back when I hear every time I hear Benfica, I was like, and Cristiano somewhere is smiling, right, watching them because I know. Well, yeah, I mean, you think think about the Yano blocks, right? Juan Felix, the Victor Lindelof, even though Lindelof, look, I liked him. He's tremendous at Benfica and he's had his ups and downs at at United. But if you look at, at, at all the major clubs throughout European football, They've all got a Portuguese player, and a lot of them come from Benfica. Porto's done a tremendous job with the James Rodriguez, the Falcons of the world, the Alvaro Paredes, Danilo. That's the other aspect. When you talk about, you know, you don't understand why in the world would Juventus get rid of Juan Cancelo. To me, it made even less sense when you're getting rid of Juan Cancelo and bringing back Danilo in return, as if, like, this guy is even anywhere near the caliber player that Juan Cancelo is. But like you said, they had to balance the books, whatever it is. But, you know, Porto, Benfica, Sporting, Alexandro, another guy that came from Porto, uh, mm-hmm. Sporting, you know, the Nanis of the world. Sporting's been a, a little while since they developed players. They went through a little downtime. But at one point, they were the one team in Portugal that was developing young players uh, year in, year out. When Portugal won that, that Euro in 2016, like 13 or 14 of the players on the squad came from the Sporting youth ranks. Portuguese teams just do a tremendous job. They, you know, they, they, they identify these players at a young age. They take the time. They develop these guys to the next level. And as you said, man, it's when you're watching Manchester City and you're watching these other clubs in Portuguese for, or, or, or like or what we like to call the, the, the other Portuguese team in the English Premier League, uh, you know, uh, Wolverhampton, right? They yeah. got a, just yeah. like the whole squad's Portuguese, right? Or Mendes, yeah. Except <laughs> Mendes squad, exactly. Uh, and you watch these guys play and you just – start to wonder like man if portugal the country the league if they had the means to keep you know half of these guys in the league just think about where our league would be and how much better our you know our our our, our teams would be in, in european competitions you know uh, it, it is it, it hurts 
right? As, as you know, someone I was born in Portugal, I live and breathe Portuguese football. And when you watch these guys play, man, you just can't help but wonder at times, man, what if, what if these guys were still, what if Benfica was able to hold on to all these guys? Porto, Sport. Just think about the types of teams they would be able to compete and be able to build, um, you know, throughout European football. It'd be, it'd be tremendous. I, I think Portugal would definitely be talked about in a totally different light. Yeah. Someone who's obviously changed the perception of that whole country the past, I mean, it's almost 20 years now at this point, right? Around like 15 or so. Cristiano Ronaldo. We have to, we have to discuss this because <clears throat> there's a lot happening with him in regards to the future of his career, where he's currently at now, what's going to be happening this summer, as soon as the next, as the second leg against your rival team, Porto. Um, <laughs> listen, this is, he's getting paid a lot of money. He's productive, yes. Is he the same player that he was a few years ago? No. There is a situation here where if Juve get knocked out against Porto, that's a lot of money lost, as we know, as we discussed earlier in the podcast, that it's really difficult for some clubs. And the amount of money that they've lost during COVID uh, this year, the amount of money that they pay him strictly, just like uh, just himself is just absurd. I mean, what is the future? Like, what are his options? I was tweeting about this yesterday um, because there aren't as many options for him, right? Because you have to factor in how much of a pay cut is he really going to take? Where can he really go that teams can afford him in this time? Because we know the situation over in China where a lot of players aren't getting paid over there. Um, Squads are getting cut. We saw Stefano Schaudi leave there, come back to Italy. Um, I mean, does it does it go back to Portugal? How many Portuguese teams can really afford that salary? Does he take a significant pay cut to go back to Sporting, for example? Would be like you know a team. Does no, Manchester United even want to take stadium. him on? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> like there's there's a finite amount of places that he could go to. Does he like take a pay cut to go? There's to one PSG? option. There's yeah. one option. You mentioned like everyone around, but you haven't hit on the one team. I was gonna say Manchester United. No, not even. No, not no. Even. I, I I totally see his next stop being Inter Miami. I think that's I where don't he's know headed. If he's coming to America he's, with that I, whole Vegas only, situation. My only question, yeah, I mean it, that that's being resolved as we speak. But I, I think the only question I have regarding Inter Miami is, will he do it after the Euros this summer? Or will yeah. he wait until the 2022 World Cup to do to to then go ahead? Because I think it's it's a matter of time. He's got property in in Miami. I think he he wants to come over to North America and establish his brand. Um, you know, we're all you know linked through you know Europe, right? You guys are Italian, I'm Portuguese, so we all have links and found. We understand the importance of Europe of Europe, but there's nothing like being established in North America. When you're when you're you're a successful brand in the United States of America, it trumps anything else. And so I think he wants to come here and establish that. Uh, you bring up the, the, you know, the great point about the whole Vegas situation, but I think that will be resolved uh, by the mm. time he comes here. Uh, I, look, I, I, as far as what's going on at, at Juve, uh, look, as, as a Milan fan, <laughs> I've been a Milan fan since I was very young. It's always been Benfica guys, but then those mm-hmm. great Milan teams in the 80s, man, I, I, you know, I, I've always gravitated to them. Uh, I've told Matt 50,000 times every time we great taste that, that I, I you know, Rossoneri is my, my club. It's always been my squad. I don't follow uh, as closely as I once did. I'm not going to lie, but I've always, you know, it's like, 
Benfica is my my wife, and Milan's my side piece. It's always been. It's it. There's the only two women in my life. There's nobody. Everybody else, like you know, I, I I watch Arsenal play, and their stadium is like Benfica's, and they're red and white. And I'm like, okay, I like Arsenal. You know, it's cool if they win, but if they lose, it doesn't matter. Like when Milan loses, it it, it bothers me. So I'd be lying to you, man, if I'm not ecstatic that Juve has not had the success that everyone <laughs> anticipated. I mean, I'm I'm basking in it. You know what I mean? I'm happy as hell. Yeah. Uh, that being said. And I, I'm not a Cristiano Ronaldo apologist by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's it's naive to think that, you know, he alone uh, was enough to lift uh, Juve to you know to to, to lift the, the big ears, right? I, yeah, I just I think no look, chance. he's doing what he has to do. He's got what 50 goals and 53 appearances in the Serie A, whatever it may be. Uh, he and you know you mentioned before he hasn't been the player everyone expected. But look, if you really look at Cristiano Ronaldo over the last 10 years, he hasn't been that player for years now even at Real Madrid what he did is just get the ball on the wing and he just became a guy that was just there on a final on the final third to get the ball in the back of the net he wasn't involved in much of the construction of the game he wasn't setting up anybody else it was just he gets the ball and credit to him man the guy he either closes his eyes and gets very lucky doesn't care about his teammates takes every shot he can but most of those shots are going in so you know that's what (laughs) you're paying him for now the rest of the team um Again, I'm ecstatic <laughs> that they haven't had the success, but the rest of the team hasn't really lit anybody on fire as well. No. So, um, Messi goes through the same thing with 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 yeah. Barca. You know, these guys are still phenomenal at what they do, but in in the game of football, as you know, it's eleven v eleven, and you need a little bit of help at times. Yeah, um, there there's no doubt about it. But let's transition to the other team that has actually completely turned the page on you know. I wouldn't say not helping him, but I don't think they did as much as, you know, developing in his prime as they would have liked. But this Portuguese team, I think they're amazing. I just up and down this roster. It's just, it's just phenomenal. Like the amount of talent, like obviously Cristiano's the headliner. Andre Silva has been amazing. João Felix is, you know, the face of that new generation, Ruben Diaz. But then you kind of forget about, like, a guy like Bernardo Silva is getting, like, left out in some of these conversations. And you're saying to yourself, this is one of the better footballers in the world, right? Like, he's playing for one of the best teams in the world. He's been amazing ever since Monaco. And he's not old. Like, he's been around forever. He's still in his his mid to late 20s. Like, he's not – he's still got a, a lot of football left in his legs. Like, I, Cristiano, like, this team can easily – go back to back in the euros in my opinion i i think i think they definitely can yeah i mean look i'm surprised as as we talked off air before we started recording I, i'm surprised that they're not getting the love that i think they should be getting and no it's not due to the fact that i'm portuguese it's just that I get it. They won the year in 2016. And let's be fair, I'm Portuguese and I try to call a spade a spade as much as anyone. Right. And we've made it all the way to the finals on five draws. And I get it. I wasn't happy about coming out in third place, you know, out of the group. If it wasn't due to these rule changes, we would have never had Portugal as as a European champion. I get all that, the negativity and stuff. But at the end of the day, right, it's about winning the game by whatever means necessary. Right. You're you guys, Italians, you've won World Cups on just doing enough, doing what you got to do to get the W. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Nobody's going to remember if it was beautiful, if it was ugly. All they're going to remember is that you're champion. And Portugal did what they had to do. That being said, you look at this roster, 
I think they're way better than the 2016 roster. Like twice as good. <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand why they're not getting the love that that I, you know, again, from from the media, from the odds makers. And it's good as a Portuguese person. You like that. I'm sorry? You like that under the radar. Oh, as a, that's what I was getting to. As a Portuguese person, I love it. I love it. I mean, you go back to every fiasco and every failure that the Portuguese national team have had throughout their, I don't want to say history, but I'm going to bring it back to 86, World Cup in Mexico, high expectations, right? Uh, a roster filled with Portuguese, I mean, with obviously Portuguese, duh, with Benfica players and Porto players. Porto had just won the 85-86 Champions League. Benfica went to the final of Europa League in 83-87, and then in 90. Like, these are teams filled with absolute fantastic footballers. We get to the World Cup in Mexico, flamed out of it, right? Then you fast forward, we didn't go to another World up until 20 uh 2002 uh i vividly vividly guys remember sitting at home watching the world cup draw all right on tv and first name that comes out portugal is in in the group with the home nation south korea which were you know obviously they had a tremendous world cup yeah, screwed you guys <laughs> yeah okay. yeah yeah but, they did. a legitimate but, one right <laughs> yeah but they weren't but they weren't expected to even be you know, anywhere near uh, where they were, right? Even they got help, but they played better than anyone expected. So, wow, South Korea, Portuguese people started to dream. Second team, Poland, like, oh, my God, that's too easy. And then USA, <laughs> like, bro, I'm telling you, there was a freaking parade in Lisbon. That's the Portugal won the World Cup. They hadn't even played a game yet. They had won a World Cup. And I fast forward to the World Cup, and it's 5 a.m. I get up, a bunch of my friends are coming to my house in Newark, New Jersey, Turn on the game. I got this game going on. My doorbell rings. I go downstairs to open the door to my friends. By the time I come up, Portugal's down 2-0. And you're like, what the? F-? Like, yo, <laughs> what? What? You know, we lost 3-2. And then 2006, we weren't supposed to. We went to semifinals. 2010, we're supposed to be hoopla, pa, 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 pa. Young Cristiano Ronaldo did nothing. Flamed out against Spain. You know what I mean? So every time Portugal was expected to do well in 2014, right? Same thing. Uh, you know, the, what? Was, yeah, 2014, same thing with the world. They mm-hmm. just disappointment after disappointment after disappointment um and when they're expected to be one of the favorites they do nothing and when they're underdogs that's when we show up because we have that chip on our shoulder we want to prove to the world that you know we like portuguese people are very good at holding grudges you know what i mean we don't like yo i might forgive you bro but i I ain't forgetting about this (laughs) and we don't forget very easily so i'm hoping that you know, the Ronaldos of the world, the Juan Felix Rubenis, Bernardo Silva's, uh, Bruno Fernandes, uh, Ruben Neves. I mean, there's just so many guys that we could just sit here and name. Um, I hope that these guys are paying attention to this and that they're going to want to show up at the Euros and prove the world that, look, maybe should have taken notice of, of what we've done over the last five years because uh, we don't appreciate being ignored. I think the biggest focus that I see with with the national team, and then we can, we can wrap it up here, Cristiano, is... I think unlike what we saw at the 2016 Euro and previous World Cups and some of the, the, the heartbreak that you mentioned for them is, yes, they were at times still very much dependent on like, okay, Ronaldo, like, do what you do. Like, let's take us home. But now I feel like he, while he's still like, a, like the focal point in the, the heart of that squad, he's not the only guy who can beat you in that squad. Would you agree with that? Like you have oh, like Andre Silva, who's young, and you have a lot of players and a lot of attacking players. I mean, top to bottom, they're they're very well stocked in that sense. But I think Ronaldo now would probably feel like more of like one of the guys 
at and this at this is probably the only point of his career where he's felt like one of the guys in that sort of squad because you're looking at some of the players that they have there and where they're those players are at currently at the club level. Silva, yep, uh, yeah, Bernardo yeah. Silva, you know, Nato, Jota. I mean, you, all these guys top to bottom, and you're like, uh-huh. okay, he's not having to be, be this sort of superhero and pull games out of the last 15, 20 minutes of a match. You, you don't understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and you look, you're mentioning, you keep mentioning Andres Silva, right? And he's having a phenomenal season over in Germany, right? But he hasn't even been a focal point. He's barely even played in our last couple of games because we're playing, mm-hmm. we're employing a 4 3 3 with Ronaldo, Jota. Uh, Bernardo Silva and João Felix, you got three spots for four players. So Andres Silva doesn't even doesn't even come into the equation. You know what I mean? Like we just have so many more options now compared to what we had a few years ago. Right. Um, and 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 as far as the Ronaldo effect, oh man, I, look, I'm not one of those because I understand Ronaldo is the type of player that could go 89 minutes without doing jack crap on the field. But then in the 90s, man, he gets the ball and, and, and he has the ability to finish a game. And that's what makes Ronaldo and that's what makes the special player special is that with one touch, they can finish a game. And so I don't, I'm not ready to make that assertion, but a lot of people, a lot of Portuguese soccer fans will tell you that our team is actually a better team. We play better football. We're more dangerous when Ronaldo's not on the field than when Ronaldo's on the field. Because a lot of these young kids, right? Um, as Martino mentioned before, Ronaldo's now in year 18 of his professional career, right? Yeah. These young kids, Juan Felix is 20, right? These kids grew up. This is all they've known is the big, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo, right? Yeah. So when they're on the field, bro, you could tell they're constantly forcing the ball to Ronaldo. They're looking for Ronaldo. Like, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, and, and I don't know if it weighs on them consciously, but but you can definitely tell there's something there. When he's not on the field, bro, the ball's flowing, everybody's getting involved in the action and like nothing's being forced. And it's just, you know, totally different football. Uh, but I still do understand the need for Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, anytime you have a guy that scores the amount of goals he scored throughout his career, uh, it's not easy to just push the guy to the side. No, nah, he, he, he leaves yeah. on his own volition. And, and the know? thing is too, and then we'll, we'll, we'll fi- definitely wrap up here is <laughs> he's, he's not just a player that, is so prolific, so gifted, so talented. He's a leader. Like you saw when he got injured in that, that Euro final and barking orders, like very animated. He like those sorts of things, I think now will do, definitely translate a lot more on this squad because of everything you just mentioned, right? Yes. In the, maybe the public eye, they aren't being sort of given that credit as being like that top two, top three, like legitimate contenders to win this again. But when you're looking at them and, and they're in that sort of training element that they have you know, on a day you know, on a day-to-day basis in the buildup of the competition, those things are gonna be huge for Ronaldo to transmit to these guys. That's gonna be such big motivation for him. And we all know at the end of the day, too, Cristiano Martino, like he doesn't have many tournaments left. You have this yeah. and the World Cup, and that's probably it, I would have to say. Well, you so, pro- yeah, you're probably right, but the one thing with him, you can never count anything out. He is 36, and the guy looks, you know, like he's in the shape of a 20-year-old. But you're, I mean, Matt, you're you're most likely correct, and it's crazy to even think any further, but this is what that guy. Look, the one thing when you talk about the dependency on Ronaldo, go back to 2016 final. I was at a, at a baptism, right? Me and all my friends, we wanted to kill our boy. Like, why would you schedule your son's baptism for the day of the final? He's like, bro, I scheduled like eight months ago. I never thought that that Portugal make it to the final. Bye-bye. But nonetheless, we watched it at a restaurant, a little TV that the restaurant was able to bring out for us to watch. And the whole place went silent, silent when Ronaldo uh, picked up that injury and was 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 finally forced off the pitch, right? There was people in tears. I'm not even BSing you guys. 
And I'm sitting there and I'm just, I just got my head down. And then I don't know, like, you know, I'm not trying to take credit for this guys, but like something just, just hit me. And I'm like, yeah, I think me, it was just me trying to be positive. Right. And I'm like, guys, this is it. That's it. We won this game. And everybody's like, what, the, what are you talking about? We won. one over and all. I'm like, we won, bro. This is how we're going to show the world that we're not dependent on Ronaldo. He's going to be, obviously he's not coming back into the game. We're going to find a way to win this game and show the world that Portugal is much more than just Cristiano Ronaldo. And again, that was a lot of wishful thinking and hopeful thinking, but look, ultimately uh, Santo Eder, bro, when he, when he cocked back to shoot that, I said, what are you? Yeah. Like I wanted to kill the guy. Cause he shot from the middle of the park. You know what I mean? Like, yo. <laughs> and then like when that went in, like we all lost it. Um, but yeah, like I just I have one of those feelings, man. And and look, I've had a lot of feelings, and trust me, I've been wrong a lot of times. But that day, I guess I was right, man. Like, yo, this is how we're gonna prove to the world that we're not just about Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think that the squad has gotten tremendously better over the you know the next five years. And so, uh, look, keep keep doubting us, keep doubting us, and let's you know let's see what happens over the summer. I'm excited. I'm excited for the for the future of the Portuguese national team. Excited for the future of Portuguese football. Cristiano, it's been a pleasure having you. Before we wrap up. Tell us where people can find you and plug some of your work. Yeah, uh, 10CO10 on everything, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all that, that that good stuff. Benfica Podcast is where I do my weekly podcast. We talk about, obviously, Benfica. If you want to listen to Porto and Sporting Talk, I'd suggest you not tune in uh, because we're very biased when it comes to Benfica. We try to spit nothing but the truth, but uh, sometimes, you know, we get a little crazy on there. So appreciate all the support, man. Matt. Martino, thank you guys very much for, for bringing me on your show. I look forward to speaking to you guys again. Hopefully, we could have you guys come in and uh, talk on the Benfica podcast. If only, if only, you know, Benfica would, would you know, be able to handle their business in the, the Europa League, which they haven't crashed out against uh, Arsenal. But, you know, if only we could have handled our business and maybe faced, you know, each other, and then we'd have a lot more to talk about. But we're going to have to save that for another year. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, 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 uh, it's unfortunate, but we'll uh, we'll have to hopefully reunite once again with these two clubs in uh, well, hopefully the Champions League, right? That's what we want. That's the yeah, main. That, that's the main exactly. stake here. Yes, sir. Um, Martino. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, well, yeah. Well, first, just thanks for the kind words, Cristiano. Um, best of luck to Portugal this summer. I think they probably got the best shot outside of France. If if they get a rematch, that be that would be uh, amazing. Obviously, hoping for Italy, but um. Yeah, so you could obviously follow me at Martino Pucci on Twitter. Um, you could check out some of my work um, with The Athletic. Please sign up with BetMGM if you can, um, if it is legal in your state. I had Inter winning uh, the Scudetto when they were like plus 150, 140. They're minus 400 now. So basically, everyone thinks it's wrapped up. But uh, I hate it. But you know what? I have to look smart somehow. Um, so check that out. Obviously, the Milan Reports podcast that I do with Matt every Tuesday and best of luck to Benfica. They play in what? 57 minutes or so, right? It said two o'clock game today. So uh, good luck to the boys over there, Matt. Yeah. And you guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Make sure you guys follow the state of play pod on all socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Once again, we want to thank Cristiano for coming on and until next time. See you then.